0: May every uh, grace and peace be yours in Christ as we hear the Word of God preached to us today. I think I'll just uh, m- kind of move through the Scripture and read them as we go along in an honest attempt to uh, to make uh, good stewardship of the time, uh, all the while uh, knowing that uh, the message arises immediately from the Word of God, which will be fresh in your mind each section as we deal with it. So I'll do it like that. Our text today is Colossians 1, 3 through 14. And that's where where we will be. So you can be prepared uh, to look there as you turn there even now. But I think that one of the great temptations uh, in um, our Christian lives, and there there are a number of them, but one of the great ones is... For us to strive in our own efforts to add to our justification or to bring about through our own efforts to bring about spiritual maturity in our lives. We're always wanting to work weasel our way in there. Uh, just a couple of examples. Us men think that if we if we work hard enough or if we're self disciplined enough. Uh, we think things like God will reward us or uh, by making us good providers for our families and we can store up wealth and riches. Another example would be parents. They, they think that if they can find the right parenting method uh, or read the right parenting book or follow the right steps, that God will add to them the blessing of, their, of the salvation of, of their children as a reward for their righteousness. Uh, another example would be uh, how often Christians w- begin to think that if they could if they could just have the right ecstatic spiritual experience, then they could achieve this this higher plane of Christian living or, or achieve a higher blessing, or they can make great strides in in their growth of growth and in grace instead of the ordinary plodding that seems to be uh, the way that growth and grace typically happens. And these are these are only a, a few of uh, of the examples that, that I'm alluding to. But in our Christian lives, we are constantly tempted. Are we not to add to our justification, or to bring out our, bring about our spiritual maturity in Christ by our own efforts? How does that typically work out for you? It, it doesn't. It doesn't work out very well. First of all, it it doesn't produce the end in sight, does it? It doesn't. It doesn't achieve the goal. But it also leaves us feeling frustrated, anxious, bitter, and extremely discouraged. And the adjectives could go on. And not to mention, it flies in the face of the gospel message of God's free grace in Christ, doesn't it? Of course, this problem is is not new. This is an age-old problem. And in fact... It is a similar threat to the church at Colossae that provides the backdrop for Paul's prayer that we will look at in our text today. There was a false teaching going around Colossae that true Christian fullness could be achieved through things like extreme self-denial. And you're, you're going to see this in, in chapter 2, and some of you may already realize that, those of you that have followed Dale's advice and have read it regularly. Extreme self-denial, rule-following, true Christian fullness can be achieved through these things, rule-following, ecstatic experiences. This was, this was the false teaching. And the Colossians were being tempted then to trust their own efforts to bring about spiritual maturity. And Paul knew that this was a challenge to the grace of God that was made known in the gospel message that was preached to them. And it was a challenge to the peace, patience, joy, and thanksgiving that gospel grace brings in the Colossians' life. So Paul prays for the Colossians. There's an application right off the bat. If you see me struggling with that, before you talk to someone else about it, pray for me. I struggle with this. But Paul prays for the Colossians. And Paul doesn't waste the opening thanksgiving and prayer merely as the common way to open a letter in his day, which it was, but he's not going to waste this opportunity. Rather, Paul prays with intent in his opening prayer. To instruct the Colossians by thanking God for His grace in their lives. We'll see that in verses 3 through 8. And he uh, he uses this prayer to pray that they would continue in maturity. Which is again, by God's grace. We'll see that in verse 9 through the first part of verse 11. And then... It will flow out in a life of patience, joy, and thanksgiving. And you'll see that in verse uh, the second part of verse 11 and in verse 12. And then this life is always grounded in the gospel message of God's grace. And that's in verses 13 and 14. So let's look at verse 3 through 8. And I want you to see in these passages of Scripture that Paul thanks God for His grace to the Colossians. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this we heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world, in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul thanks God for His grace to the Colossians. So when he prays for the Colossians, he thanks God for what he is hearing about their faith in Christ, and their love for the saints, most likely hearing it from Epaphras. What's happened is, by God's grace... The believers at Colossae have turned away from the multitude of pagan gods of their time and they have placed their faith exclusively in Christ Jesus. And they hear about this and then as it always does their faith in Christ it produces a love for all the saints. It's this is this is that Common word for love, that agape, self-sacrificial love. It's connected to their faith in Christ because it was the self-sacrificial love of Christ on the cross that redeemed them. They have heard of this gospel of grace, the self-sacrificing of Jesus Christ. And as Romans 5.5 5 says, the love of God has been poured out into their hearts and it has produced a love in them... For every Christian. However, note verse 5. The faith in Christ and the love for the saints that is possessed by the Colossians. Paul says it is because of their heavenly hope. We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all saints. Because of the heavenly hope that you have. As a matter of fact, I love the way that the NIV translates it. It says, the faith and love that spring up from the hope stored up for you in heaven. What had happened is their present faith in Christ and their love for all the saints actually springs forth from a heavenly reality That they heard in the gospel message that they are united with Christ in His death and resurrection and are seated with Him in heavenly places. And this is something that Paul will deal with later on in the book of Colossians in Colossians chapter 3. It springs up from, their faith and love springs up from the heavenly hope, from this idea that Christ has died and ascended and has lifted them up with Him. The faith and love that they possess springs up from, but is also a foretaste of the treasure they have laid up for them in the presence of Christ in the invisible heavens. The gospel message has told them this. And they have placed their faith in Christ. I think we cannot help but notice that that famous triad appears here in this passage of Scripture. Faith, hope, and love, doesn't it? As I, as I studied this, I couldn't help but uh, remember Dell's emphasis in Ephesians, a very similar book to the book of Colossians, on that triad of the faith, hope, and love that Paul so often uses to characterize the Christian life. However, I think that Paul might be aimed at something more than simply describing the character of the Christian life here in, in these passages of Scripture. I think what he's actually aimed at is describing the ground or the origin point of the Christian life in verses 3 through 8. He is thanking God for the origin point of their Christian life, which is God Himself. Note that Paul thanks God. We always thank God since we heard of your faith. In Christ and your love for the saints. So this, did, this love for the saints, this faith in Christ, it did not rise from within them. Nor are they a result of the Colossians' effort. Rather their faith and love are gifts from God. We thank God. Al molar is clear here I think. He says, Paul thanks God for the Colossians' faith and love rather than congratulating them for it. Do you notice that? He said, we don't thank you for your faith and love. No, we thank God for your faith and love because you are not the origin of your faith and love. God is the origin of your faith and love. Al Mohler didn't say all that. Paul thanks God for the Colossians' faith and love rather than congratulating them for it because he recognizes that both faith and love are gracious gifts from God, end quote. Further, Paul says in verse 8 that the love the Colossians have or possess was in the Spirit, has made known, Epaphras has made known their love, but it's not just their love, it's their love and In the Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit then that gave them the love that they possessed for all the saints. That's how God pours out His love in our hearts, Romans chapter 5. It's by the Holy Spirit. So it was the Holy Spirit that gave them the love that they possess for all the saints. And again, also note that the hope that they have laid up for them in heaven did not originate in their own intellect. So the Colossians weren't at some point worshipping Diana or one of the multitude of pagan gods that they had the option uh, of worshipping, and then they were sitting there and they were thinking, oh, you know what, this God of heaven thing, uh, you know, we have hope in heaven because of this, and that, that hope that he offers is not the same kind of hope that we receive in Aphrodite, So I think that we're going to turn from Aphrodite and we're going to start worshiping the God of heaven. No, 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 that's not the way that it worked out. Their their hope in heaven that was the wellspring of their faith in love, faith in Christ and love for all, their, all the saints, it did not originate in their own intellect. Rather, Paul says they heard it when the gospel message came to them from Epaphras who was a faithful minister of the truth of the gospel and of Christ on behalf of the Colossians. It was the gospel message that worked in their hearts. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation to them that believed. It was the gospel message that worked in their hearts and produced the fruits of faith and love, springing up from gospel hope, just as it had in the whole world, wherever the gospel was preached." Everywhere the gospel was preached, it did the same thing that it did in the Colossians. It gave him a hope in heaven and that sprung up in faith and love for the saints. Faith in Christ and love for the saints. So Paul instructs the Colossians through his prayer that even the gospel was a gift to them from God through Epaphras. It was the truth of the gospel and the heavenly hope it communicated and sprang up within them that produced the fruit of faith in Christ and love for the saints and the spirit as it had everywhere this grace of God and truth was preached. So Paul is hes praying for them, but he's doing what pastors often do when we pray. We also preach a little when we pray, So especially when we're praying publicly. And so Paul's doing that. He is intending to instruct here through his prayer of thanksgiving for the Colossians. What was he intending to do? What was he intending to instruct? Well, I think it was certainly no less than to remind them that their fruitfulness in faith and love had come by God's grace communicated to them in the gospel message and of the heavenly hope that they had in Christ. So, in the face of the false teaching that was circulating around Colossae that taught, hey, you could add to your justification or you can bring about your spiritual maturity through your own effort, Paul wants to assure the Colossians that it was God, not their efforts, that had redeemed them by his grace. You were not, you have not come to faith. Because of, or as a result of, your own efforts. And then I want you to see in verses 9 through that first part of verse 11, that Paul prays the Colossians will continue in maturity by God's grace. They came to faith by God's grace. So Paul prays then that they would continue in maturity by God's grace. 9 through that first part of eleven, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased. From the day that we heard of the faith that you have in Christ, the love for saints, the the way that it's born uh, fruit, or born fruit in your life, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. So Paul prays the Colossians will now continue in spiritual maturity by God's grace. Paul begins, verse 9, you may have noticed, just continuing the flow of thought. That he began in verse 3. And so, or because of, the grace that Paul thanks God for giving to the Colossians, he prays that they would grow in that grace. And, and, and again, this stands in contrast to the growth that was being propagated by the false teaching swirling around Colossae at the time. Spiritual maturity, full knowledge of God's will, spiritual uh, all spiritual wisdom and understanding, walking in a manner fully pleasing to the Lord, fruitfulness in every good work, strength for patient endurance, uh, uh, verses 9 through 11, it will not come through the legalistic and mystical methods of the false teachers and what they were propagating in Colossae. Rather, Paul wants them to understand it will flow out from Colossians, the Colossians' trust in the all-sufficient work of the supreme and all-sufficient Christ. And that is what Paul thanks God for in verses 3 through 8. And interestingly, it is this supreme and all-sufficient Christ that he is going to set before them in verses 15 through 23. So, silence between this prayer for spiritual maturity stands the all-sufficient Christ. I think verse 10 is central to Paul's prayer for the Colossians. So as to, we pray for you to be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom. So as to, so you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Paul greatly desires, obviously, that the Colossians will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That they will fully please the Lord and bring about fruitfulness in every good work. And I don't think that this can be overlooked or understated. Paul then gives thanks to God for their faith, thereby instructing and encouraging them in it, and prays instructively that the Colossians will live out that faith by walking in a manner pleasing to the Lord. But what also cannot be overlooked or understated is how Paul prays to that end. I do, it cannot be understated, or overstated rather, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. But how does Paul pray that that would happen in their lives? Does he pray that they would walk worthy and pleasing to the Lord? By saying, Lord, if you'll just give them a list of rules or if you will if you will provide for them uh, to have some ecstatic experiences or if you will learn if you will just teach them practices of extreme self-denial then they can walk in a way no that's not at all what paul prays for rather paul prays that they would know god more fully in christ how does one walk in a manner Worthy of the Lord. Are you kidding me? Fully pleasing to the Lord? Have you lived with me? Well, Paul prays, and I think it's instructive here, that they would know God more fully in Christ. He prays that they would be strengthened by God's God's power, not what strength and effort they can conjure on their own. He will show in the verses that follow that the fullness of God's... Verse 19, maybe I should just read that. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He will show there that the fullness of God's power is the fullness of Christ's power. Because all the fullness of God dwells in Christ. So how do the Colossians fully please the Lord? How do we fully please the Lord? I I think that it's appropriate for me to frame it like that. How do Christians of all ages fully please the Lord? Maybe that's the better way of framing it. It is through their faith in Christ. It's not through rule following. It's not through ecstatic experiences. Because listen, God is not pleased. He did not say, these are my beloved rules in whom I am well pleased. He did not say, this is my beloved ecstatic experience or extreme acts of self-denial in whom I am well pleased. How How do Christians fully please the Lord? It is through their faith in Christ because it is with Christ, not human effort, that the Father is fully pleased. I've got some great news for you that might rub you the wrong way. Beloved, God is pleased with us not because of us, but because He is pleased with Christ. That's great news. And this is marvelous. Because as 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Christ is our righteousness and sanctification. I think Paul also understands he's wanting them to mature and grow into a life that is walking walking in a manner worthy to the Lord. Paul understands that knowing brings growing. When Paul prays for their maturity in walking in a manner worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to Him... He silences it by praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That they would be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding increasing in the knowledge of God. So see what happens here when the heavenly hope that is spoken of in verse 5, that hope laid up for them in heaven, is combined with the heavenly knowledge that Paul prays for. In verse 9, it produces a life of walking in a heavenly manner. Of Verse 10, pleasing to the Lord, bearing fruit, and increasing in the knowledge of God, and even being strengthened by God according to His glorious might. Christ is our righteousness and sanctification. And Paul prays that they would mature in that. Next, I want you to see that God's grace in the Colossians justification and spiritual maturity will flow out in a life of peace, joy, and thanksgiving. God's grace in the Colossians justification and spiritual maturity that he prays for will flow out in a life of peace, joy, and thanksgiving. And that's in that second part of verse 11 through the first part of verse 12. For all endurance with patience and joy. I'll just read verse 11 to keep the flow. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. So Paul prays in that second part of verse 11 that this heavenly knowledge so so listen to this because I know what some are thinking Oh well he's praying for heavenly knowledge so what's that what that heavenly knowledge is going to do for the Colossians is for everybody to say man look how smart the Colossians are or look how much they know about God but but that's that's not what happens is it that heavenly knowledge strengthens them By the power of God, not their own strength and effort so they will be puffed up and talk about how great their knowledge is, but that they may live out in their faith joyfully with endurance and patience, right? So he prays that they would know more about God, not so they would become puffed up in their own strength and effort, but so that they could live out a life fully pleasing to God, not burdened down or anxious or frustrated like we do when we try to live in our own efforts, but to live a life joyfully, with endurance and patience. The grace of the gospel that brings the peace of trusting in Christ and not in their own efforts that Paul uh, prays for or thanks God for in verses 3-8, through I think is re-emphasized. As Paul prays for the knowledge of the grace of God to give them the strength, not merely to just eke out living their faith, but to do so with joy. I wonder if that's not what, we, what we're missing, by and large, in our Christian experience. Most of us could probably say, well, I live out my Christian life. Most every person around me knows that I'm a Christian the people in my workplace, or whatever it may be, they know I'm a Christian, I live out my faith, I share the gospel with them. They know I'm a Christian. But I wonder if it's not so much that we're just merely living out our faith. But when we have the strength of His might that comes from knowing Him more fully, we don't just live it out so folks know we're a Christian, but we live it out so folks know that we're filled with joy. That we are joyful Christians. So I mean, I would want that. I would want folks to say, Jamie's a Christian. Of course that's what I want. But I don't want them to just say, Jamie's a Christian. I want them to say, Jamie's one of those weird Christians that has joy all the time. And I I want more and more folks to say that so that it won't be so weird. Not there yet. I'm just saying that's what I want. We shouldn't miss that this life of walking worthy of the Lord, because I don't want to miscommunicate that we're just going to be floating on cloud nine. We shouldn't miss that this life of walking worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him and bearing fruit, is marked by a need for patience and endurance. And this lets us know that Paul understands that this earthly life is not an easy life. It requires patience and endurance, doesn't it? And if anyone understands that, it would be Paul who is writing this letter from prison. However, despite the need for patience and endurance, the grace of God, the knowledge of God, and the strength of God will cause these times of patient endurance to be with joy, and even in verse, the second part of uh, verse twelve, or rather, that first part part of verse twelve, blah, we see that uh, also see that the gospel brings about patient endurance with joy and thanksgiving, even when you can't talk, and you talk for a living, which explains a lot. But the but but this life this life of patience and endurance by the strength of God through a a spiritual maturity that knows Christ more fully will not just be eking out a Christian existence, but it will be a life of joy and thanksgiving. May God make it so. And then he closes this prayer By communicating the life of patient endurance with joy and thanksgiving again is always grounded in the gospel. It's it's never, here's the gospel, live out a life of faith and joy, and then find a mature place and then you can start adding to your justification. Or then you can start doing it in your own strength. Always back, always back, always back to what God has done for us in Christ. Always back to the gospel. We're right back where we started, aren't we? Right back at the gospel. Let me read it to you. Giving thanks to the Father. And here's where the gospel, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints or the hope that they have laid up for them in heaven. He says it that way in verse 5. He... Again, here we are. We're back in verse 3 through 8. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. In whom? In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Right back where we started. Paul begins this prayer with the gospel and he ends his prayer with the gospel. How can the Colossians possibly live the life that requires patience and endurance and do so with thanksgiving and joy. And I think what he says next is instructive for us. It is because the Father has qualified them to share in the inheritance of all the saints or the hope that they have laid up for them in heaven. This word qualify is interesting because it points us to later on in Colossians 2.18, Paul is going to use similar language as a rebuke to the false teachers to let no one disqualify them by insisting spiritual maturity comes from extreme self-denial. Read it. Legalism or ecstatic experiences. Let no one disqualify you. God has qualified them by His gracious gift of faith and love springing up from their heavenly hope in Christ. So no human effort can disqualify them. Because no human effort has qualified them. Only God's gracious work in Christ has qualified them. It is God who has transferred them out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of Jesus. It is through Jesus that they have been redeemed and received forgiveness of sin. Again, due to false teaching, some in Colossae must have been looking for legalistic rule following or spiritual experiences to assure them of their faith. Or, or to bring them about spiritual maturity. Bring about spiritual maturity. But those things can offer nothing of the sort. As a matter of fact, this passage of Scripture is a plain reading of my past life. Take it from someone who knows that no matter how many rules that you follow. No matter how many things in the world that you abstain from. No matter how much of the right clothing that you put on. And no matter how many ecstatic experiences that you have in wild and chaotic worship services, no matter of all of that, no matter what, it does not bring you one more little iota closer to God. Not even a little bit. And it does not bring peace. It does not cause you to live a life that requires endurance and patience with joy and thanksgiving. I promise you, it does not do that. Rather, it makes you mean spirited and legal hearted and bitter and anxious and cultic. I've walked that path. Take it from someone who knows. Only faith in the sufficient work of Christ, which is a gift of God that springs up from our heavenly hope and produces love for the saints, can bring us a life of joy and thanksgiving. Amen. Only the grace of God can bring spiritual maturity and enable them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Verse 10. Our own works and experiences only produce a fear of disqualification. Because if you're saving yourself, it won't work. But it is God, not legalism or spiritual experiences or extreme self-denial, which is, that's what Paul is saying is asceticism. It is God who has qualified us to share in the realization of the heavenly hope because it is He who has delivered us, redeemed us, forgiven us, and placed us in the kingdom. It is the grace of God revealed in the truth of the gospel that flows out into spiritual maturity and a life of patient, endurance, joy, and thanksgiving. This Christian life is all of grace and none of ourselves. Now, I think some of you are probably like me. There's little doubt in my mind that you share similarities with the hypothetical people that I began the sermon with. The man that just wants to do enough. Or the, or the parents that just want to find the right examples or methods. Maybe even now, you're waiting for me. You're saying, okay, well, he's preached the gospel, and I know he's given the application, so... N- now He's going to give us a set of rules. (laughs) Even now you're waiting for me to give you a list of steps or rules to follow so you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Now think, beloved, that the lies of our time allure you to deeply desire to bring it about in your own effort. Our hearts crave it. Work harder, right? Right? This is the empty deceit and the vain philosophy. Work harder, do more. You need a vacation. Read this book. Follow this method. Get married. Stay single. Save for the future. You only live once. Be more adventurous. Have more children. How could you bring children into the world in this dark time? You are enough. Discipline yourself. Take an ice bath. Man up. Be true to yourself. Girl, wash your face. Seek this spiritual experience, go to this revival, and the list can go on ad nauseum. Some of you may even look at our text and say, I need to love more. I need to hope more. I need to have more faith. I need to know more about God. I need to get more spiritual wisdom. Then I'll truly know I'm justified. Then I'll really be a mature Christian. We're so often like the regular stream of people that we condemn who came to Jesus in his time and asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What can I do to have this hope laid up for me in heaven so faith and love can spring up in my heart and I can walk worthy of the Lord? I don't, I don't mean to sound mean-spirited. Please take this in all the pastoral love and grace that it can be given with all of my strange passion. For those folks that are asking these questions, may I ask you what it is that you believe about the gospel that makes you think you need to merit God's grace? Or what misunderstanding do you have about the gospel that makes you think you can merit God's grace? I think of those in Moses' time who were bitten by the poisonous snakes that God sent as judgment against them in the Israelite camp. Do you all remember that story? They They had done something wrong. I wish that I could remember. Probably should have looked at it. We're not being legalistic now. But they had done something wrong. As a judgment, God sends snakes in the camp, right? And they get, a bunch of them get bit and they're dying like flies. They're dropping like flies. This is crazy. That was the story. Well, all the ones that were looking for Moses to give them five steps on how to treat snake venom died in the wilderness. Just give us a list, Moses. This is serious. I have been bitten by a snake. You're the man of God. You tell me how this unfolds in my life. But all those that simply looked upon the brazen serpent of the wilderness lived. Lived. I can do nothing but what Paul does when he prays for the Colossians here. And really what he does in all of Colossians, we'll see, and that is to set before you the person and work of Christ. Our hearts so often crave the how in the Christian life. But Paul seems to be preoccupied with the who of the Christian life. That is the person and work of Jesus. So with Moses... And with Paul, I say, look and live. Look to him seated in heavenly places after his death and resurrection, and find the wellspring of faith, love, endurance, patience, joy, and thanksgiving. Four, five, 11, 12, maturity and spiritual wisdom and knowledge. Verses eleven through or ten through eleven. When Paul finishes this prayer, given the backdrop of the, or, I'm sorry. When Paul finishes this prayer, given with the backdrop backdrop of the legalistic and mystical false teaching in Colossae or Colossae, he immediately sets before them in verses 15 through 23 the supreme and all sufficient Christ. Seems like I've said this before, but if I am a fool for preaching Christ, then let it be. I cannot give you seven life principles to ensure your financial future, men. Parents, I cannot give you four child rearing messages to ensure that your children will repent and believe. I'm not that wise, and I don't know the future. What I can do is what Moses did and what Paul did, and that is to lift to you the crucified, risen, ascended Messiah who is your righteousness and sanctification and tell you if you look to him you will live and i mean in so doing that you will not merely live but i mean in so doing you will really and truly live with patient endurance with joy and thanksgiving because if you're if you're looking for the five step model you might find some some Christian existence that you can eke out. But I am telling you the way that you live with joy and thanksgiving in times that require patient endurance is by looking, constantly looking to Christ. Constantly remembering that He is my righteousness. He is my sanctification. I have no merit in my own strength. If I try this in my own strength, I will utterly fail so I come to Christ. I hurl my anxieties on Him. I fall down at his feet and I realize that if he is not my righteousness I will not live each, each day this week brings new and great opportunity for the swirling wind of false doctrine and confu- confusing philosophies to shake our faith faith But we don't look at this week fretfully, do we? We look at it hopefully. Sure, this week requires patient endurance. But we face it. And why? It's because we see Christ. We see Him today, on this very day, in a special way. In a symbolic way. The broken body and shed blood of Jesus before us represented in the bread and in the wine. Wine. And in seeing that, we are reminded that it is through His self-sacrifice that we are brought into the kingdom and redeemed and forgiven of our sins. So not only am I just telling you in words, but in the Lord's Supper, we have what is called, the Luther called, visible words. The bread and the wine, we're reminded of this very truth, this very reality. We're reminded of the grace of God. So we may live in God's peace and strength and walk in a manner pleasing to Him as we joyfully endure this week with thanksgiving. Don't hear what I'm not saying, because I want to remind those whose faith is shaken today. I want to remind you that you are not qualified for the inheritance of the saints that we lightly taste in the bread and wine by your own efforts. So you may be sitting there thinking, should I take communion? Should I not take communion? My faith is shaken. I'm experiencing experiencing some doubt. I didn't do all that I should do. Well, beloved, of all people, this broken body and this shed blood is for you. After all, this is the ordinary means of grace. How will will you receive strength for your soul if you deny the means of grace that God has provided for you? So if your faith is shaken today, you are not qualified by your own efforts. But for those whose faith is weak, come and be be strengthened by the reminder of the grace of God in your stead. And I also need to say that this meal is a meal for those who have been brought into the kingdom of Jesus by faith in the work of Christ, that God has gifted those who believe. That means, unbeliever, we love you. We hope you stay and observe and fellowship with us afterwards. But by virtue of the fact that you are not in the kingdom and you do not trust Christ, This meal is not for you. I would appeal to you. Trust Christ. See, the answer for for us believers, we're not superior. The answer answer for believers and unbelievers, it's the same, beloved. It's the same, friends. Look to Christ and live. Trust Christ and live. We ask that you will stay and observe, but just respect the reverence and sanctity of this celebration by simply abstaining from coming forward and receiving the elements. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not angry at you. We're glad you're here. But I'll pray. And you can come as you're ready. Great God, we stand in awe of your redeeming grace in Christ. So awesome and incomprehensible Is it for us that often in our ignorance we attempt to make up for it in our own efforts? Forgive us. Strengthen us to cast our trust in you. To hope in you alone because you are our only true hope. Strengthen us. Fill us with knowledge of your will. Spiritual understanding. Fill us with knowledge of you as we increase in that knowledge. Not that we would be puffed up, Lord, but that we would be regularly and constantly reminded of your grace in Christ so that we'll continue to come back to that gospel message. Lord, so that we can then walk in a manner pleasing to you. Make it a reality for us, Lord, by your Spirit and not by our efforts and not by my own effort in preaching. And we prayed in Christ's name. Amen.